This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's join our guests for Friday. It's Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, Craig Earlham and Trader Nick in the USA. Good afternoon, guys. Hey, Johnny. Good afternoon. Now, of course, global events have dominated the headlines and they will continue to do so and who knows where we're going to be this time next week we'll come to that in a minute because obviously it's a major effect on markets like gold oil and so on but i first wanted to ask you craig about today's uk data some interesting numbers have come in both for retail sales and consumer confidence as well as some comments from the bank of england yeah, I mean, so we've had a selection of data from the UK, uh, retail sales, they say GFK consumer confidence. They don't always align. Uh, the GFK consumer confidence figure in particular, it's not a particularly reliable indicator of uh, how people actually spend their money, uh, but it does give you an indication as to how households are feeling, which could potentially give you some insight into future activity. But today it really did just align. So we had... Retail sales uh, in September fell by 0.9% month on month. That was below expectations of minus 0.3, so quite a a sharp decline compared to what people were thinking, and also much larger than the 0.4% growth that we saw the month before. Now, the, the, you always get the explanation for why that happened, and the one this month is a one we hear quite frequently, which is unseasonably warm weather. So basically, in September, at the start of the month, we saw unseasonably warm weather, which means that these kind of new autumn lines uh, were not picked up. And that's important for retailers, because this is the time of the month when they're selling at full price before they kind of go into the discounting phase to try and release inventory. Um and therefore, it's an important month uh, at the start of each kind of quarter. And we saw that people were not forcing themselves into the shops to go and buy this 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 gear because uh, because the weather uh, didn't necessitate it to be the case. And but then I think there was more to this because even though we are now seeing positive real wage growth because wage growth has now exceeded inflation, we are we have seen a now very prolonged period where household uh, incomes have been negative in real terms and they've been sustained during that period for one reason or other burning through savings maybe the use of credit cards etc but i do think that now we are starting to see signs that it's taking a bigger hold because it's not just now higher energy prices or higher fuel prices even if both have come down from their peaks it's now higher mortgage rates and we're seeing a lot more now about higher rents uh because those higher mortgage rates are filtering through into the rental market as well Uh, and obviously higher groceries so it, it This is something where households are now feeling the pinch from all sides. And I do think that that is going to have a bigger influence on consumer activity going forward. We'll have to see whether that remains the case. And it depends on a number of different factors, up to and including how the labour market holds up and whether wage growth continues at this rate, which I don't think it will. But there is every there is every uh, possibility that we do see consumer activity being weaker going into this holiday season than we would otherwise anticipate. And this is where the GFK number comes into it because it kind of supports that view that households are feeling pessimistic. Now, one thing we should point out with the GFK number is it's always negative. So that apparently, per the survey, a negative number reflects pessimism among consumers and a positive number reflects 
optimism among consumers. So to put now this into perspective, over the course of the last 18 years, we had a period from around mid-2014 to late 2015, early 2016, when the numbers were positive. We also had a very brief period back in late 2004, early 2005, where the numbers were positive. Every other month has been negative. So basically, we are an extremely pessimistic country, uh, broadly speaking. But it's all about the trends. And the trend over the last 12 months has been more favorable, moving from close to minus 50 up to around minus 20. But now we've seen two out of the last four months which have put negative prints into the trend has been reversed we've been at negative 30 so it suggests that in the most optimistic sense that we're maybe we're seeing a stabilization around minus 20 to minus 30 but it could also suggest we are seeing a deterioration as well at a time when people are actually spending less so the combination of those two is the is the thing that gives the impression that maybe we are going into a holiday season where people are going to be tightening uh, the purse strings a little bit more spending a little bit less uh, going on, on on presents on gift giving spending a little less perhaps on the kind of luxuries of uh, with, with regards to the the kind of menu uh, and the food uh, and maybe doing a little less socializing as well so it'll be interesting to see whether that actually holds up but these numbers at the very least suggest that we're seeing less uh, more, more more tightening of the purse strings now but the question is for many people is that in anticipation of splurging around christmas and the festive period as a whole or is this a trend that we're going to see throughout that festive period and i'm sure retailers will be nervous about the latter because it's such an important time of year for them the final point that you made on andrew bailey he, he has made comments today about inflation in october and he's effectively said that he think they think that inflation is going to fall sharply i think around one and a half percent from where it was in september in october but that's purely driven by favorable base effects so the energy price hike that we saw uh, in the same month last year falling out the calculation because these are ultimately annual comparisons so where you've got much higher energy prices last year and lower levels this year that will have a much beneficial impact on the inflation number. So I think he said they expect inflation to fall below 5% in October and then gradually decline from there on in. But that will give households, it will give businesses, and it will give the Bank of England uh, a feeling, I, I imagine, of, uh, of a little bit of calm because we have seen extraordinarily high levels of inflation now for an extremely long period of time. And that number, quite crucial in a way politically for the Prime Minister, uh, one of his uh, five promises was to halve inflation from its uh, top rate. I think it was around about 11.5%, wasn't it? And so that target would have been reached. Of course, it could come back up again by the end of the year. I want to switch topics to the price of oil and gold, Nick. We've been talking about this all week, of course, because of the events in the Middle East and their repercussions. Uh, both of those are on the rise at the moment. Yes. And uh, just to kind of summarize the feel of the market here on Friday as we trade recording uh, or, or as the markets trade uh, and we record this podcast, the feeling is uh, pretty much across the board, you're getting a real risk off move in the markets. Uh, what we see here is that if you kind of cross examine the, the list of, of assets, you've got gold and oil, as you mentioned, making advances here. I mean, gold at the time of recording, we are knocking on the door at $2,000 an ounce. Now, of course, that's not record breaking by any means, but the what's more important is the ascent from 1820 to almost $2,000 an ounce in just a, a mere week and a half, two weeks here. I mean, that is a rapid, rapid rise in the price of gold. And, um, you know, regardless of whether or not uh, we, we talk gold from a from a bullish 
bearish perspective, you have to understand, uh, even if it makes no place in your, your portfolio or your considerations and markets, it's still incredibly important to notice how fast this, alongside the VIX, which both of them seem to be trading with a pretty strong positive correlation right now, in response to that wartime situation that you mentioned, Johnny, um, there's a lot of questions and markets don't like uh, uncertainty. They, they uh, stray away from uncertainty as much as possible, but it doesn't end there. So you've got gold, uh, oil advancing in, in terms of the wartime situation, uh, which is, of course, incredibly uh, hard to, to watch play out for from a humanitarian perspective. But markets also hate that uncertainty uh, and the, the risks of, of possible escalation on that front uh, are, are terrible for supply lines. It was like when, um, you know, just a, just a quick history reminder, gold punched up on the all-time high when Russia invaded Ukraine. Supply issues, concerns, uh, inflationary pressures, all of these things become very real very quickly with wartime situations. And um, I, I think just to add on to the risk-off sentiment that we're seeing in markets, beyond just gold and oil, you've got uh, the 10-year the actually trading lower here today, which is uh, a rare sight to behold these days. The yield has just gone up and up and up off of uh, strong economic expectations from the US. But this retreat here, perhaps a flight into bonds, just shows how real this market move is. Now, it is a Friday. Another thing to think about is the overnight risk is elevated right now for investors. They have to, you're telling me I got to hold on to my stocks or gold or the dollar over the weekend when uh, there's so much uncertainty right now. There is probably a, a do, uh, you know, there's probably an argument for being out of risk on assets over a, an incredibly tough time in uh, global events. I mean, if it's not Russia and Ukraine, it's it's Israel and Hamas. I mean, there's so many questions that are playing out right now. And, um, you know, the, the in some ways you might argue, well, isn't that demand for bonds, that yield creeping off, is that going to be possibly a bullish thing for equities? And right now the market does not think so because NASDAQ uh, is trading just about at the session lows, uh, just right off the session lows. We're back down to 14,570 on the NASDAQ right now. I mean, this is closing out just an abysmal week for stocks and it expends past the US. So again, that risk off theme, you go take a look at the FTSE 100, you take a look at the DAX, you take a look at stock markets around the world um, under pressure on this. So the question is, is all that going to continue? The question is, is this uh, kind of set to, to be a theme for the coming weeks and months? Or is this um, is there is there kind of opportunity in all this uh, dismay? And, and I think, you know, right now, it's a hard case to make for short term bullishness. But I think we can kind of analyze what was heard from Jerome Powell in his speech yesterday. Um, there was probably a mixed bag, uh, and and I would say maybe a neutral result in terms of hawkish, dovish response from Jerome Powell. Some of the some of the highlight notes is that uh, basically. Jerome Powell pointed to the economy being incredibly resilient and, uh, you know, reinforced as he always does that their mandate is to, you know, keep prices under control and maximum employment and all that, all that stuff that he usually says. But uh, there was something in there that I thought was really interesting. And I want to ask Craig about this because we've talked about this concept. We've talked at length, especially recently, about yields. And there was a question going into Jerome Powell's speech that I had questions about, which was, is he going to acknowledge on behalf of the Fed 
that the yields, I asked this question to Craig one week ago from today. I asked Craig, do these yields being up here do some of the work for the Fed? And what does that truly mean? And it, we actually kind of got that. That might have been one of the more dovish things that Jerome Powell said. He said uh, he acknowledged that the yields <clears throat> being uh, rapidly, you know, kind of uh, re, I don't know what the word is, we're at kind of an inverted yield curve going the other way, right? Uh, lengthening out the curve and flattening it out, I guess. Um, we're seeing uh, the acknowledgement from the Fed that that those elevated uh, yields could actually be doing some of the Fed's work for them. Uh, and them acknowledging it is, is big, in my opinion, because, again, we talk at length usually on this podcast about how the Fed um, is is defensive in their in their narrative by default. And so any acknowledgement of anything is usually a good sign. They've acknowledged that there has been some disinflationary trends that have been um, seeing progress. Some of the core inflationary uh, stuff looks looks better. Um, but again, I think, uh, you know, as, as we always do in terms of podcasts looking ahead, as the market does look ahead, we've got inflation numbers. We've got core PCE coming out next week. So uh, should be some interesting numbers on that front. But Craig, I, I mentioned I want to come to you on that. Yields being up, Fed acknowledging it, somewhat of a mixed bag. What did you take away from Jerome Powell? And and I guess also, what's your response to kind of today's market broad move into risk off assets right now? So I guess I'm I'm always a little bit cynical when I hear the Fed speak because it's you've I, I always look through look at it through the prism of what do they want to say to the markets versus what do they think and believe. And for the few weeks that preceded the spike in yields, the message to the markets was rates will stay higher for longer and they'll probably go up again as per the dot plot. And they could actually rise multiple more times. And the markets were like, mm, I'm not so sure. I, I, I actually think we're done. Uh, and the markets were quite confident in that. And all of a sudden, more and more policymakers are coming out. We're going to raise again. We're going to raise again. We're going to raise again. So the market's adjusted. Yields spiked, and they continue to go higher. And then policymakers continued with that message, and yields continued to go higher. And all of a sudden, it was almost as if policymakers, and we did not expect markets to respond in the way they have. We thought we would just keep them high uh, rather than actually contribute to another surge in yields. What are we going to do? We've got to change our messaging because uh, because we can't keep this up we don't want yields to go this far but we can't exactly turn around now and say we're going to cut rates or we're not going to raise rates we've just been saying this for so long we've got no fresh economic data we've got new no new economic projections we can't drastically change our messaging so therefore what can we possibly say to stop this surge in bond yields that we're seeing and the easy message in that situation is to say we actually think the markets have done our job for us, right? Because that allows you to kind of take that step back without saying that you've basically misled the markets, without saying that you're no longer going to raise rates because you've changed your mind all of a sudden on the basis of very little. So it kind of gives you that out. Uh, we haven't seen bond markets adjust back. That's that's what I find interesting is despite that change in language, markets haven't adjusted back. Perhaps that suggests that my theory that markets were going to adjust back as soon as the Fed changed the tone of their language is wrong. But I'm still not convinced I'm wrong yet. I, I do just feel like these markets are a little bit disjointed at this moment in time. I do feel like there are these pressures that are building in the markets right now. There's The narratives don't necessarily make sense and the narratives don't always have to make sense and we don't always have to be right about these things. I may be proven wrong uh, and I'd be perfectly happy to accept that. But I would say that in these markets right now, there are multiple forces at play, and I just don't feel like everything makes sense. The only thing that would make sense with the way these markets are moving is that 
The Fed was so convincing almost in its narrative that rates will move higher and stay higher for longer that the markets have said, do you know what? We kind of buy that rates could go higher, but what we really now buy is that rates are not going anywhere next year, that we're not going to see a rate cut from the US next year, that actually we could see US rates at 5% for the next 12 to 24 months. That's the only thing that would really make sense in terms of yields staying as high as they've gone. But I just don't see that as being the most likely outcome. And I think that we could potentially see an adjustment in the early part of next year. If we do see the US either near recession or fall into recession and we see the labour market data slacken a little bit, and I do think we will eventually see that, and we do see consumer activity weaken in the, around the turn of the year, then I think that narrative will go away. But I wonder whether the Fed's message has just been too convincing and now it's trying to backpedal in the only way it possibly can, which is to say markets have done our job for us. Because let's face it, if the Fed doesn't raise rates and if the Fed doesn't leave rates high for the next 12 to 18 months, then those yields just don't live up to the reality. But then that's a long time and things can change a lot in that time. So I think the Fed has tried to buy itself an out. The markets are maybe in a bit of a state of confusion and waiting for that inflation data that you just talked about and waiting for the next jobs report ahead of, ahead of that around the time of that next Fed meeting. And then maybe we'll see that next adjustment. And of course, what's happening in Israel and Gaza right now does then just create that additional layer of uncertainty. It creates the additional layer of uncertainty in terms of the economy, but also Let's be let's be honest. Where obviously it is positioned, it's Israel is not a major oil producing state, but where it's positioned is surrounded by major oil producing states, and this has the potential to escalate. We all hope not, and and I don't think that's the base case at this point. But this has the potential to escalate into something bigger. Where in an already extremely tight oil market, this could have ramifications for oil prices, and oil prices have ramifications for inflation, and inflation has ramifications for interest rates. So perhaps that is one of the things which is contributing actually to the sustainability of these high yields. I'm guessing, of course, but maybe that's one of the things that's having a contributory factor to these high yields is not the fact that the Fed, uh, the people that maybe traders believe the Fed is going to leave rates high for the next two years. But the upside risk that's associated with the movements we're now seeing in oil prices could lead to a situation where interest rates are higher for longer. Again, this is a lot of guesswork at this point. I do think things will become much clearer over the course of the next couple of weeks. And this is always the difficulty with a situation like we have right now, not just with the central bank backdrop and the uncertainty created by that, but obviously the uncertainty created by what we're seeing in Israel and Gaza is that until the dust settles, it's really hard to make uh, an informed judgment and like i said i think the next couple of weeks hopefully things will become a lot clearer and that uncertainty can start to pass okay guys very interesting thank you very much for joining us today and we will speak to you next week thank you johnny thank you market insights the market pulse podcast by oanda